Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today I'm speaking with Jessica Diamond, who is a renowned dietitian and nutritionist that specializes in maternal, infant, and child nutrition. She is the co-founder of Meaningful Living and co-host of the Meaningful Living podcast. Today, we are talking about setting kids up from the earliest ages for healthy eating habits and striking the balance between wanting to provide healthy habits with not wanting to be overly controlling about healthy habits and finding that balance, whether it's for infants or teenagers. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow, rate, and write a little review. And as always, DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. I love hearing from you. So I want to dive right into cultivating healthy eating habits and balancing that with not accidentally being so, like clinging so much to cultivating healthy eating habits that you cultivate controlling eating habits. And that seems to be hard to balance. And so I guess the first question is, what are some no-brainer rules to live by when it comes to mealtime with kids? Such a great question. I mean, this topic, I'm so excited to dive into because I just how you framed it is exactly what I always want parents to walk away with, right? These skills so that we're not overly controlling, but we feel like we're actually setting our kids up to have a healthy lifestyle. Yes. So the biggest thing before we say anything is that it sounds so wild, but it's not our job to get our kids to eat. And I think if we just work off that one premise and Mm -hmm. we work from there, we can really build all those building blocks of building a healthy relationship with food. Because when we operate from a place that it's our job to get our kids to eat, we fall into the trap of what we normally would fall into, which is bribing our kids Mm -hmm. or positively pressuring them, right? You're eat the spinach and you'll get so big and strong and healthy. Like we start to, or negatively pressure. If you Mm -hmm. don't have this broccoli, then you can't have dessert. But what Mm -hmm. all of that does is that it leads to our kids to be more selective and not be intuitive eaters. So the ultimate goal is for them to be able to listen to their hunger and fullness cues, right? If we go to a dessert buffet, so many of us didn't grow up that way, that we go to a dessert buffet and we feel so overwhelmed. We're like, oh my gosh, we're going to have a cheat day or we're going to 
be overeating all these items. We don't know where to start. But what we want our kids to grow up is different and do it differently for them where they can go to that dessert buffet and actually eat based on their hunger and fullness cues. Mm -hmm. So I would say the very first premise is just, it's not our job to get our kids to eat. And then from there, there's kind of this natural division of responsibility, which is it's our job to make the menu. So that's what we're really in charge of. And I tell parents to just really take that ownership of that menu. And so Mm -hmm. we get to plan the menu. We say when mealtimes are expected, when do we have meals and snacks and where do they happen and how much they eat and if they eat at all is totally up to them. And we try to stay as neutral and play it as cool as possible because that's actually how they learn. And for parents who feel like their kid is going to get hangry or they're going to not sleep. And of course, you cannot control what goes in a child's body or what comes out of it. Those are just not things that you get to control in life. So I like the idea of letting go of that because you fail either way, right? It works in the beginning, right? Like anything bribery, any of those things, they work in the beginning. So when you first positively pressure your kid, you're going to get the item, right? If you want spinach in them, they're going to eat the spinach. I don't know why I'm picking on spinach today, but, Ah. but it's a zero sum game down the road, right? It, it, it doesn't actually, it ends up leading to much pickier eating. So instead of them eating the variety of foods, they're then going to be eating only a couple acceptable foods. So you're right. Yes, it doesn't work. So when they get to the end of the meal and you haven't said anything, but they haven't eaten what's on their plate. What's next? So I love this because I think we're so afraid of hunger. And mm-hmm. part of that is because there's this newborn phase that is like permanently mm. painted into our brain of that lack of sleep. And we will do anything to never return to that place. <laughs> That's so true. And you right. associate it with like, did they have enough milk or uh-huh. whatever? Did they eat enough milk? Did they get enough? And so we're just so afraid of the downstream effects. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing is, is that hunger is actually good. Hunger is how our kids learn what it feels like to be hungry. So they actually eat at meals. So if your kid sits down and listen, maybe they're so stimulated, they were doing a science activity they loved so much, or they were playing with their blocks or whatever the age they were, and they just can't kind of quiet down enough to eat. And they're done with your meal. You say, check in with your belly, see if you're full. If you're all done with the meal, that's fine. But there's no more food until one o'clock. Like what is the next time? What is the next meal or snack that you have planned? And the biggest component of this is having those regular scheduled meals because there's nothing more confusing to a kid than them having lunch. They don't eat that lunch. And then we feel this immediate guilt and we feel this fear that they're going to be hangry that Mm -hmm. all of a sudden their snack time that's usually at one o'clock is now at 11. Mm -hmm. And so that unpredictability of meals is what doesn't kind of allow them to listen to those hunger and fullness cues. So it's okay if they get hungry and to allow them to then have that meal. And in between meals, you can give your kid water. Like that is, they can have as much or as little water as they want any time of the day. But I think allowing your kid that space to learn their body of hunger is really important. So if they say they're hungry, then you say to them, great, we're going to be eating at X time and you can have your snack or you can Mm -hmm. have your meal. And what about when kids get older? So here's something that I've heard a lot during the pandemic. And we're actually, we experienced this in our house 
you go to school and there's like designated snack time and designated meal time. But when you're doing school at home, which is not happening anymore, but this happened and it started habits, kids could go in and out of the kitchen. All of a sudden there was less structure. So I think during the pandemic, a lot of people got out of healthy eating habits. What is a way to not mess with your kids because you want them to have their hunger cues and figure that out and not restrict them, but also restrict time in the kitchen? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's, I think it, it, it all winds down to the age of the kid. So mm-hmm. when your kid is under teenage years, mm-hmm. what that looks like is that there's limited access. So I always say on a pantry, when your kid is a young kid, you have a lock or some way that there's just not a free for all where they can kind of go and graze all day long, right? I like setting up access for kind of everything but food because it's our job to make the menu. As they get older and the whole idea is doing this over time as they get older, they're going to be able to be more intuitive eaters and be able to listen to those hunger and fullness cues. But it's just been so hard over the past year and a half because it's kind of like, there's not really separation from the morning to bedtime. And, you know, the refrigerator is always there. So what I would say in that time is as much as you can, instituting as much family meals as you could to kind Mm -hmm. of compensate that. So the snacking for a teenager is still going to happen in between them. But if you give them kind of the structure of we're going to sit down and have some meals together, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to do it. I know with schedules, it's hard to do, but that's kind of how you bring the balance back. And then helping your kid remind them to just listen to their hunger and fullness cues. It's all about not demonizing food or putting different foods on different pedestals per se, because when they learn that, that's when you're going to see the binge eating in that age group, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's a, a lot of the work I do with teenagers is really more about disordered eating as opposed to just the healthy eating habits. Cause it's kind of like they go in one of two directions at that age. Well, so that's interesting. So I do want to keep talking about setting up the healthy eating habits, but I would also love to hear from you on things that might inadvertently promote disordered eating. Yeah. And and certainly in the, you know, like those things that we're planting as founda- seeds or foundations for younger kids. And then also what you're seeing in preteens and teens. There's probably no subject I love more because I think that's my entire mission in life is all of us, how we grew up, we have some degree of a little bit of disordered eating, right? Mm-hmm. Disordered eating is normalized in society now. We hear it's a cheat day or I was so bad or Mm -hmm. I need to go on a diet. Like all of that stuff is normalized and it actually shouldn't be that normal, right? If we think about that, that's a complicated relationship with food. And so the reason why I I have the baby feeding course is that I really, this, this stuff starts from the beginning and there's a lot we can do. And when you're starting to feed your baby food, so much of us think about what food we're giving, right? We're going to get the perfect either pureed spinach, or we're going to do baby led weaning, and we're going to get the perfect food item. But what Mm -hmm. I want parents to think about is the most important thing from babyhood on is how you feed your kid and the language you use. Great. And so how you feed them looks like, you know, is the division of responsibility. So you are in charge of the menu. They are not in charge of the menu. So if your kid says to you, like, let's just get practical about it. If your kid says, I want mac and cheese, your response is, oh, I love mac and cheese. Mac and cheese isn't on the menu today, but will be tomorrow. So you're not giving into that preference in that moment, but you're giving them an acceptable time where it's going to be there and you're still in charge of the menu. 
kids make it seem like they want to be in charge of the menu, but I know parents listening of kids that really get in charge of that. What happens is their acceptable choices of like 20 foods starts dwindling down because it's too much pressure. And so then they start going to like four, three, four, five acceptable food options. So the first thing is how we do it. And the biggest thing is to be neutral. And so the things that we're doing inadvertently would be positive and negative pressure, focusing so much on what our kid is eating and pressuring that eating, as opposed to kind of just talking about everything else and just food is food. Does that make sense? Totally. So now what is good language around making choices about food as they are packing, like, should they participate in packing lunch? Or I'm trying to think of other examples where how you feed them, not what you feed them and what your language is, is going to be more important and effective. And maybe it's just hearing from you what that language is. Yeah. So honestly, everything could probably dwindle down to my two favorite quotes. And (laughs) those are, it's not on the menu today, but will be tomorrow. Right. That you say that over and over and over and over. And then the other one is you can have as much or as little as you want. The reason I say it like that is because that's not putting pressure for them to eat and it's not putting pressure for them not to eat. And so it's the ultimate neutral statement. You're giving them permission to do either. And it sounds kind of silly when you say it, but in reality, it actually has a really big impact because everyone is well-intended. Every parent is well-intended. We start controlling, we start bribing, we start pressuring because we want our kids to eat a more balanced, healthy, nutritious diet. And what all of the research says is the more involved we get in that and the more pressure we put on that, it actually has the exact opposite. So kids that are pressured more, it's not even just about disordered eating. It's less healthy options, right? Mm -hmm. They're, They're much more inclined to have less nutritious intake overall. And so by saying you can have as much or as little as you want, I probably still say it with my son who's three years old, maybe 10 times a day where he says... I don't want blueberries. No, no blueberries. That's okay. You can have as much or as little as you want. And it just takes that pressure off where he doesn't feel pressured to eat it. The other thing I would say with meals is that when we are setting up meals, my favorite thing, it's not reasonable for us to have three family style meals a day, right? That's just uh, anyone that's doing that kudos. That's fantastic. But I, it's just not practical. I don't do that with my kid and I'm a dietitian. But what I like to do starting from really babyhood and toddlerhood on is mimic family style meals for them by putting food in ramekins in front of them. Uh-huh. So they have all the food set out and then they can eat in any order that they want. So let's say you pull out a meal of chicken and strawberries and spinach, picking on that spinach again. Uh they can eat all of the strawberries. And once all of those strawberries are done, that's on the menu and in that ramekin, you can say, oh, there's no more strawberries on the menu, but you can have as much or as little as you want of the chicken and the spinach. And so you're allowing them to eat in any order, but by putting those serving sizes on in front of them, they can visually kind of make a consensual decision and decide what they're going to eat out of that food. It's really hard to let go of that control, but Mm -hmm. I think it's so much easier for parents to do it when they know the control isn't going to ultimately get what we actually want. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. Gaps in the diet shouldn't be ignored. We want to get most of our nutrition from food, but over 90% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet and 95% are not getting their recommended daily intake 
of key omega-3s. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Older multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women aged 18 plus. It is formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. But Ritual also invested in a university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of the Essential for Women 18 plus multivitamins, which shows to increase vitamin D levels by 43% when taken regularly and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in a 12-week period. Ritual is committed to third-party testing from USP and the non-GMO project, traceable and vegan-friendly ingredients, and always clear communication. So if you want to find a clean multivitamin Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash humans and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash humans. When it comes to young children's learning, think about fun. When kids are happy to learn and they're having a good time, they learn more. And Here's the thing about apps. They are inevitable. At a certain point, kids are going to use apps and they should use apps because there's lots of wonderful stuff out there. The idea is to use high quality apps with limited amounts of time. And when it comes to good apps for kids, I'm a fan of story teaching. There's a reason why we all remember the stories we heard and read as kids. So I'm excited about this brand new Encantos app. It's full of fun, amazing stories that teach kids in new ways. Also, I love that the app has stories in both English and Spanish. So it's a great way to prep. So it's great if you're learning Spanish and it's also wonderful if you are a Spanish speaker that there is all of this great stuff available. And I really like to have diversity in content that my kids consume. And there's also really cool concepts like global citizenship, social emotional awareness, and mindfulness in fun ways that they love. Look, kids are going to be online. So when they are, make it high quality. And Contos was just named one of the world's most innovative companies in education by Fast Company. And their new app is the first of its kind because it fuses enchanting stories from diverse creators with an education to inspire a lifelong love of learning for kids ages two to eight. Plus, Encantos offers all kinds of content perfect for anywhere you go. Books, games, videos, songs, story casts, and more. And again, we don't want to just remove all technology from kids' experiences, young kids can learn really cool stuff with limited time to high-quality programs. I want your kids to enjoy stories to learn by from Encantos. And right now, I have a special offer. Get three additional months free when you sign up for an annual subscription. So just go to EncantosWorld.com and use the code HUMANS when you subscribe. That's E-N-C-A-N-T-O-S world.com and use the code HUMANS. Compared to pumpkin patch photo shoots and costume planning, shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius can be one of the easiest tasks on your October to-do list. Filling time between trick-or-treaters, try shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius. Get free quotes while giving out free candy. 
We can't tell you what to dress up for for Halloween, but we can tell you that you can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius, and you can save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius when you compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not for the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. And eligible applicants can get covered in as little as one week, thanks to an award winning option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor. How it works. Okay, so getting started is easy. You just head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. And when you are ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius doesn't add extra fees. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. But now, what do you do with dessert dessert that's not healthy? Oh, I was just going to say that to the last thing you said, which is, when we say like, you know, one more bite of your broccoli and then you can have dessert. Let's just mm-hmm. start with that. Yeah, I feel like many people say that. Right? We, we say it because we're yeah. well-intended. Like we want our kids to eat the vegetable over the dessert. Mm-hmm. But what they're actually hearing from us is, wow, that dessert must be so special if I have <laughs> to eat my broccoli or vegetables before that. Uh-huh. And so it's sending the opposite signal. So what that's doing is putting dessert on a pedestal. And what we know from the research is anytime any food is demonized, whether that's carbohydrates uh-huh. or dessert or any type of food like that, you end up overeating it and not having a good relationship with it. So my whole approach to desserts, which is it's clinically proven and it really works. And the first time I tell a parent and your listeners, when they first hear it, it's, it sounds so wild, but it actually works. The whole idea is that we want to take it off the pedestal. We don't want Mm -hmm. to make it this, some special thing that either you have to earn or that's taken away or that comes after you've eaten, you know, all of your vegetables Mm -hmm. or well-balanced meal. So my favorite is young from the time they're young on, you can just put a child-sized piece of dessert with their dinner. And so they can eat it in any order. Yeah. And sometimes they'll eat it in the beginning. Like, you know, you have at some point they're going to eat that first, but a lot of kids end up not even touching it as you do that consistently. Because what they want to learn from you is, am I going to consistently get this dessert? And is it as normal as broccoli? And when it is, that's when they can start to learn their body and feel comfortable exploring. And then when they go to a birthday party, it's not this fight and this battle all the time over the cake or not the cake or this or that. So just to 
And I love that because it really does take the cake off the pedestal. (laughs) Now, portion size, if you can have as much or as little as you want of what's been put in front of you, let's say, but now they want more cookies and you don't want to be restrictive, but you know that they will be ill if they have as many as they want for some kids. Mm -hmm. What sentence do you use? And let's do developmentally. So like a toddler, you'll say something different than a tween. Great. So the whole idea with desserts is that we want to give our kids opportunities for limited portion size, or I should say restricted amount, limited amount, and then unlimited amounts. So it actually will look the same for a toddler as an elementary school kids. And and then in tween years, we can kind of talk about that. But (laughs) it's if they want more in that dinner where you're giving them the child size portion, that's where you say there's no more cookies on the menu, but tomorrow there'll be another, you know, there'll be cookies on the menu tomorrow, whatever you're serving tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So that's actually a point where you are giving a restriction. So you're giving it to them, but in a limited amount. To balance that, I always say, use the opportunities when you want to bake with your kids or those times where you have more desserts that are coming into the house, maybe once a week, once every two weeks, have an opportunity for unlimited desserts. Okay. So what that looks like is baking cookies with your kids. They come out of the oven they can have as much or as little as they want. Obviously, once the cookies that you made are done, they can't have any more. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning for a kid that's exploring that, they might eat so many that they get a sugar rush or that mm-hmm. their tummy hurts. But that's actually that learning environment, that mm-hmm. safe environment for them to learn that. So it's all about balancing this restricted with this unrestricted or limited with unlimited. And then the same actually will go into tween years. It's just they have more access at that point in time. Exactly. Right. And so at that time, what I would say is just balance in your head of having it normal where dessert comes with dinner every day. And Mm -hmm. that dessert doesn't have to be right. Like Snickers, it can be whatever you're having in your family. So Mm -hmm. that can be a fruit bowl one night. That can be some cupcakes that you made. That can be some banana bread. Like Mm -hmm. it really can look like anything of what you guys serve in your house and what's acceptable. Right. So some people, you know, cooking with you know, coconut sugar and making everything naturally themselves without any refined sugar is really important to others. There's, you know, lots of candy and stuff around. So Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like for your family, give them that child size portion. And then definitely with tweens, give them that opportunity to have the unlimited because it's especially important at that age, because they're going to be experiencing that with their friends outside the purview of you Mm -hmm. so soon. And so you want that to happen in a safe environment where they don't feel that guilt. And with that, when our kids do overeat, whether it's dessert or anything else, we really want to make sure that we're not putting any sort of guilt or shame onto that moment. Not like I told you so, or the things that could naturally feel like they come up, but oh, like for a younger kid, oh, you have a tummy ache, you know what happened? Okay. And you just move along and they'll learn it. A older kid, you had a tummy ache, you ate too much. Okay. It's, it's really just yeah. neutral. Yeah. Like it's, it's, if they're learning any other sort of lesson, it's just, we're told this myth that it's our job to kind of control our kids intake, but really it's just our job to provide it in this consistent and safe manner. So what are some things that inadvertently promote disordered eating and what are signs to look for if you're starting to have questions about your child's eating behaviors? So I would say the top ones that inadvertently do it would be 
when we pressure positive or negative. So Mm -hmm. if you eat your spinach, you're going to get big and strong. Or if you don't eat this, then you don't get X, Y, or Z or bribing with, with food, right? It's so natural. It rolls off our tongue Mm -hmm. of, you know, you did so well today. We're going to go get a extra large ice cream to go celebrate together. Now I'm not saying you can't celebrate with your kids. It's just celebrate. It's not about the ice cream. That's the celebration. You can go have ice cream with your kid. It's just about how we kind of say it. And then I think a lot of that, what we inadvertently do is talk about diet culture in front of our kids, right? So we don't want our kids weighing themselves and having negative body images, but we'll talk a lot in front of our kids about our diet or how guilty we feel when we ate something or Mm -hmm. a cleanse that we're on, or we feel really good because we've lost weight or we're going to the gym. All of those type of things in front of our kids where we're talking really about our weight and the food that we eat is really what instills that that's something really important. And that just inadvertently leads to that. Signs of disordered eating Mm -hmm. is if you see where your kid is sneaking food, that's a huge one, especially in those tween ages where a lot of times kids, if they don't feel comfortable eating, they'll start kind of binge behavior by sneaking food into their room and trying to hide it. And so instead of you know, confronting that more so with like, okay, are you hungry at other times? Let's talk about this. What's going on? Like, is there different foods in this house that we're not getting? Mm -hmm. And then the other ones is just when it's, there is such a focus on their external features about weight loss, about weight gain, criticizing themselves, you know, like I'm sure, I'm sure parents come to you all the time with that type of thing of just that outward criticism that you hear a lot, or when you start to hear that their friends are on diets and things like that. Yeah. And it starts earlier now. It starts way earlier, which is why I I love teaching feeding your baby solids because I think it's this first time where we are we all want to do the right thing for our kid. But I think it's really fun how capable babies are. But in toddlerhood, I think we all realize picky eating or selective eating happens. And so I think we all realize, wow, it's much harder to feed them when we're doing it this way. So it's a much more natural time to say like, okay, I got to do things a little differently. Mm -hmm. But I want you to remember, you can intervene anytime with your kids and it has a profound impact. They're looking at you for this guidance. And Mm -hmm. really what makes kids feel the most secure with food is when we talk about everything but the food and we just serve options that are acceptable in our household and we just keep it so much more neutral than it is food everywhere we look is put on a pedestal. So we're never going to shield our kids from that. That's not possible, but what we can do is model it in our home in a different way. 